What's poppin' people? It's your boy Kaz here once again for the Say Less Podcast. I want to thank you all, as always, for downloading, whether it's on YouTube, whether it's on iTunes, whether it's on Spotify, whether it's on Stitcher, wherever it is. I appreciate you so, so, so much. Um, shout out to my boy Jaten, man. He got me this really dope new G-Tracking uh, Pro Pop filter for my microphone. So if anybody didn't like the way I was sounding, I sound so much more crispier now. Appreciate you, brother. Uh, today's episode is great. Uh, I got my guy Josh Johnson. He's a stand-up comedian from Chicago. Shot Town is popping. Uh, he is joining me on the show today. In addition to being a stand-up comedian, he is one of the head writers. Uh, is he a head writer? I don't know. He is a writer. <laughs> on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. And uh, I watch the show every single night. Uh, especially now during this uh, quarantine period, the social distancing daily show that he's been doing. Um, and I really like the show. This guy is extremely funny. And uh, I'm just a guy who is some, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll never do stand up comedy, but I'll always, always, always have a huge respect for the people who can do it extremely well and write comedy extremely well. And Josh Johnson is one of those guys. On this episode, we talk about Kanye West. We talk about opening up for Trevor Noah and working with him as far as being a mentor. And we just talk about the comedy game, man. How far is too far? We talk about what makes a great joke, what makes a great punchline, what makes a lot of things. I love the minds of stand-up comedians, and Josh Johnson is a special one like no other. So if you watch the Trevor Noah show, The Daily Show, whatever you call it, uh, and also, wow, my bad, I almost forgot this. He's going to be on uh, This Week on the Comedy Cellar this week. So check that out. And if it's already out, you can go and YouTube that joint. But, whoo, you know what we do each and every time we get here. We talk to Emilio. We say, Mr. Madugno, would you please hit the motherfucking music? Josh, what's going on, partner? Good, man. How are you? I'm doing all right, man. First off, before I get into anything, just make sure you're okay out there and, and being safe. Are you, are you in Chicago right now or in New York? No, no, I'm in New York right now. I'm in Brooklyn. Mm. Uh, so we're doing we're doing well. You know, I, I can't complain about anything. And uh, we've we've been lucky enough to like uh, have everything that we need and not need to go out that much. So that's good. Oh, yeah, man. It's, it's wild out there. But, you know, a lot of times, especially with your line of work, it almost feels like with stand up comics, there's always been that like time with, where tragedy or any sort of wild thing is usually like kind of good business for you guys, right? Like even though, you know, people are dying and, you know, it's really an awful thing to go through, like comics have this way of either healing or making the nonsensical make just a little bit of sense. Has that been the case for you? Uh, I mean, I'd, I would like to think that I am capable of doing that, but I won't. <laughs> I won't put it out there until it starts happening. I don't, uh, I don't want to get anybody's hopes up that uh, I'm going to come through with some fire jokes about their tragedy. And it's all okay. <laughs> but I, I, I do see what you mean. I think that for a, a, a majority of people, that is the case that uh, there are certain comics or certain like aspects of comedy that got them through a tough time. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's just important to be as good of a, a listener as you are a speaker. So that way you're not necessarily trying to like make light of the thing in that in that too soon way or like right. you at least are artful enough to to do it in a way that conveys your meaning, you know? Yeah. And when it comes to comedy, I always feel like 
you know, for a lot of comics, there's almost never a, a too soon for a lot of people, right? Like, I mean, obviously there's points where you could say something and it doesn't really come off the way it should. But in the other point, it's like, do you feel like it's it's comedians and, you know, comedy's job to be able to kind of censor us as far as humor and the power that it brings? Yeah, I, I do think so. I, I guess the 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 entire idea of too soon comes from a place of not being articulate enough with your points and right. your words uh not so much that there's an actual time limit on jokes or or like perfect time frame because there are still people who you know were were what t- almost 20 full years removed from it but there's still some people who couldn't write a good 9-11 joke you know mm-hmm. and especially <laughs> if they dressed it up that way of like guys i'm about to make fun of 9-11 then <laughs> They might get um, a, a reception that's like not that welcoming, you know. Right. But I do see what you mean. I think that you know I, all of us aspire to create a, a sort of lens that people can safely see the world in that doesn't necessarily attack all their viewpoints or make them question everything in a in a way that doesn't feel um, that 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 feels like all or nothing, you know, there, there, sometimes where if you like, if you or I were to sit down and have a conversation about something that was very, very important to you, like, like, I mean, let's just say it's like, uh, you know, your religion or something or, or lack thereof. It's like for us to sit down and have a serious conversation about it, there, there are little moments where you might get a little bit tense or maybe you can't answer a question that I asked or you get defensive or whatever. And the whole point of comedy is to, have that same conversation but uh show you my human side first in 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 an effort to like show you that there's no uh, winners or losers here we're just sitting down having a conversation and then then when i get you to ask those same questions you would ask in a serious conversation it, it's coming from a much uh much more centered and happy place than if I were attacking you and even though right. sometimes jokes are attacking you, sometimes there are jokes that cut right to the person. That's like at the heart of what parody and satire do. But yeah, I feel I like there's that, always, there's know. always one person out there. Like, even if that's not your, uh, your, your, your aim, there's always going to be one person that's like, Oh my gosh, uh, that's too, that's too much. That's not. Yeah. That's not cool. And I do think that at a certain point you have to accept that maybe they were never your audience for the joke or right. maybe, they have enough going on with them that they were never going to fully hear what you were saying, you know? And cause some people, no matter how much you try to smooth over the words, like, like a lot of comics I know are like deep, deep wordsmiths and like put so much time and effort into conveying the point correctly, because if, if people don't get it, it's not funny. You know, right. like most jokes that aren't funny are because people didn't get them, not because the joke isn't funny, if that makes sense. Right. And so, you know, I know people who put so much time and effort and I'm one of them who put like so much thought and effort into specific jokes. So by the time it gets to the audience, whether it's like via Zoom or live audience, whatever, by mm. the time it gets to you, if it does offend you, it's not that I don't care. It's just that I know myself and I know how much hard work I've put into conveying the right message. So, you know, if someone does tweet at me or like DM me, like this, I found this joke offensive because this, 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 and that's not even what I was talking about. Then like, right. I do have to let it go. You know, like I can respect their opinion and, and respect that's how they feel about it. And if it, and if it makes a good enough point, I will take it into consideration, you know, but like, it depends, man. It's, it's like, it really is joke by joke. 
Now, I, I, I feel like really close to the subject because, you know, I, I used to do a podcast with two stand-up comedians and, you know, those are great guys. I, I know them inside and out. They're, they're great people, but, you know, they're not, they're, there was no line that they couldn't push, right? Like, mm-hmm. it, it's almost like the point was to find that line and yeah. then, you know, go past it because now you know where the line is, okay? Mm-hmm. In, the, in this era where, you know, a lot of people, a lot of comedians were either getting in trouble for what they say or, you know, um, you know, trying to kind of walk on the eggshells to not offend the right people or offend the wrong people, do you find it a little easier or harder depending, you know, uh, uh, just the way you think to, um, you know, write comedy and to be able to be, to, to dance on that line or at least see the line and not touch it or like get close enough, almost like from a, like a horizon sort of point of view where you'd be like, that's the line. We can all make mention of the line, but not go anywhere near it. Like how, how's that approach yeah. changed I mean- your approach to comedy? It, it hasn't it hasn't really changed anything because honestly you're you're coming in a situation where you know kind of like I was saying before if you write the joke well enough and you're mm. and you're as concise as you can possibly be with your point then it's it's you make it hard to be misunderstood and most of the offense from comedy comes from misunderstandings so there are some people who search for the line and want to be contrarian and, and everything but that actually comes from a place of like not being able to write jokes. But when funny people do it, it never really offends that many people. If you pay right. attention, like if, if you pay attention to like how audiences and how even Twitter as as like volatile and sensitive as Twitter can be, how Twitter reacts to content when someone is masterful at what they do, that that offense is usually either quickly shut down or doesn't occur. And when someone is just out here saying stuff for the shock value and there's not like a good joke behind it that even a comic can defend, then like, yeah, you're going to, you, you pissed a bunch of people off and no one really laughed. And that's kind of its own punishment. That's why I don't like, I don't, I don't like to get involved in other people's like, like um, squabbles on Twitter and stuff, especially when it's over jokes, because it's like, look, if the joke didn't hit just as a comic and as someone who cares about jokes and as someone who, who can bet that the person who's the, subject of all of that like like hate or whatever for the day cares about jokes i can tell you that your joke not hitting is punishment enough like like right. i'm telling you i'm telling you i've bobbed and i don't wish that on anybody i don't wish because it is the nightmare of what you think stand-up is is what it is when you're bombing <laughs> like it all comes can you describe that in detail like the the actual nightmare of bombing dude it's it's like it's it's like imagine you wrote the hottest set you could possibly think of with like some of the sharpest takes and like and like not even in a in trying to be anybody else. It's just you were completely yourself on the page and then you brought that to a crowd, right? And then you brought it to the crowd and you're doing the jokes and you've got perfect rhythm, perfect pacing, at least in your mind. Right. And then um then you you look you look out and not only is no one laughing some guy like the stage manager on the side of the stage like hey they all speak spanish um, <laughs> this is this is lost this yeah. is lost their, their thing is because mm. because when you're bombing people genuinely can't understand you might as well be speaking a different language right you know what i mean like like and and 
that feeling could be so painful, especially when you truly believe it a joke. Like, like you know, for, for comics, our jokes are like our babies, which is why some comics get so defensive about them. Like if people do get offended or they do get, uh, you know, like outraged about a, a joke, you'll see some comics really lose it. And it's because it's like you mull over that thing and you love it like a like a like a baby because it it is in essence it's the same thing it, it it came from you and you're putting it out into the world so the same feeling that someone would have if somebody was like making fun of your kid is is what you have when someone is like trashing your joke or your right. jokes or your or you as a comedian because like you look at a lot of these people men women trans whatever all these people who do comedy if you really look at the, the the deep person under the surface and everything, a lot of us, this is all we have. It's all we're good at and it's all we understand how to do. So if we either can't do it or when we do it, people don't get us. It's like it's like the most painful feeling. I don't wish it on anybody. Cause I even even I now, love watching people bomb. I'm sorry. Like dude, I, dude, I watch like, a lot of comedians and it's like, you know, <laughs> Yeah, you got to have a certain gravitas to bomb, though. Like, you got to have – because bombing – and mind you, I've never done stand-up in my life. But watching people bomb is so enjoyable to me because there has to be a level of expectation there. So, like, in a way, they respected you enough to expect more from you. (laughs) When you bomb – Certain people take it in ways where it's like they just power through and are going to keep getting these jokes off and whatever, or they just turn like volatile and just go against the crowd or whatever. Like when you bomb, what yeah. kind of person do you become? This is, this is my thing. This is, this is basically what I'm trying to get at. Uh-huh. I would not wish bombing on anyone. And the more the painful part I'm talking about is more about being misunderstood and bombing for that reason. Right. I agree. Bombs are very funny. Bombs, <laughs> like, dude, I can like even when I've bombed, when I look back, I'm like, that was actually like dope though. Like, because <laughs> you're you're right. If you handle it, if you handle it the right way, you could even win them back, which is like you know, th- those feelings almost like uh almost like in like Rocky Four where he's like yes. beat to hell and then he manages to win and you're like, nah, you're like really come on. Happen. There's a part of me when I'm like when I'm watching somebody bomb and it's yeah. early, I'm like Come on, stay in there, stay in there. Yeah. Get, get back to it. I mean, back. You do see stuff like that. You see you see situations where someone is like bombing epically, like beautifully. <laughs> like like one of the ones where you're like, I'm gonna remember this. Like 20 years from now, I'll remember this. I think and there was like they, a thing with like Bill Burr bombing where he he completely that thing is that thing is amazing, but it's also amazing because if you pay attention, he was in my opinion, at least, he was never really bombing right. because he 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 kept his like composure, he kept his confidence up, and he never stopped doing jokes. Right. Like I've seen some people in situations like the situation he was in, and actually do turn into a full on lecture, and it's like, all right, but they're already drunk, so they're not really here for that. You know? Right. But and that was not even also, fun. Yeah, and and then you see people lose it too much. And you're like, oh god, like that. I mean, that's essentially what Kramer did. Was that yes, yes. He, he truly was about to have that Bill Burr moment, and then he just said the M word eighteen times. Like, <laughs> oh I'm man, you, I'm telling you, if he had, if he had stuck it through, that could be a viral YouTube clip right now in a good way, 
where he would have like really brought them back because the audience doesn't like hecklers like the audience is not on a heckler's side yeah. so so you you as the comic you already have people on your side no one wants to pay to see a bad show so people are rooting for you to do well so then a heckler is ruining everybody's night and if you deal with them like perfectly even if it's a majority of the crowd people will like love you for it like i've had hecklers but i'm like because i'm like not that mean of a guy like i, I my heckler interactions are usually pretty docile and i'll usually try to like politely roast them into shutting up you know what i mean like, what's like, what's like, polite like, roast? just like there was a guy there was a like this this is gonna sound insane especially coming from a comic but uh-huh. like there was a guy in dc that was like he was so drunk before the show that he was laughing at all my jokes, but then he would do like, he would like tag my joke. And it was like, but I had already moved on. You know what I mean? Yeah. So nothing he was saying made any sense. And then like, I basically just picked another couple in the, in the crowd. and was like, can you please get your uncle? And like, and anytime he said anything, I would talk to them and be like, Please, your uncle, y'all should even be sitting together. I don't know why. I know he's embarrassing. That's why you're not sitting next to him. And, oh like, and so it was, like, it was enough that like even the drunk guy is still laughing and we're all having a good time. But he is kind of like cognizant of like, oh, okay, he wants me to shut up now. You mm. know what I mean? Like, um, and I know that some people are way meaner and funnier about it, but that's just like not. It would it would be disingenuous of me to go in on a heckler hard and then. And then like bounce back into like quirky right. jokes. Right. Uh, but to answer your question real quick, when I'm bombing, I think the mindset that I just get in my head is that like I I I make sure that I'm present for it and make sure that I'm remembering that this joke isn't working and thinking about why it's not working. Sometimes even in the moment, like sometimes you are doing so many. Do you, do you know um? back in the day before our phone systems were like modernized and they, they had the cable girls that put the cable in the different yes. yeah. whenever they were transferring your call and connecting you and stuff. Yeah, A lot of comics is. do that on stage where they're like, okay, this second joke didn't work. I don't know why it didn't work, but clearly this audience, maybe they're too old, maybe they're too conservative, but this audience is like not down for like dick jokes or something. So then you 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 think about your set and you think about how many dick jokes you have left and maybe you either decide not to do them or decide not to swear or like whatever it is. So you're still staying you in the moment. You're still staying you in in like the performance, but you are adjusting to meet your audience in the middle somewhere, you know, because I can't I can't run over to a nursing home and do a benefit show and expect all of these like super old white people to get some militant black jokes. You know what I mean? Like that would, that would be crazy of me, you know? Uh. So I meet them somewhere in the middle where I'm like, all right, here's, here's the type of thing based on my first four minutes with you as an audience of what I think you'll like that I can offer, you know, like you never want to just pander to an audience, but like you are doing that in real time. So when you're bombing, it's like, all right, you're just throwing stuff out and then you're also like trying to like put some cool stuff in mm. and then you're trying to maybe even address that you're bombing. But that, that, that's a that's a tough one too because sometimes I've made the mistake of addressing that I was bombing because I felt like I was bombing. And then when people are actually enjoying your set, it confuses them because they're like, you're not bombing. We like you. And so you, you, wanna, you wanna keep... A, a deep, deep sense of self-awareness at all times on stage and off and in your writing, because 
if you don't, you're going to, you're going to misread situations and you're going to misread people, you know? Understood. Understood. Um, Josh, you're from Chicago and Chicago has a really rich, uh, you know, comedy history and comedy just scene. Um, how did growing up in Chicago and I guess like cutting your teeth on those stages uh, affect the way you approach comedy and writing? So I guess I guess from my perspective, the interesting thing, the, the thing that I'm grateful for is that I was born in uh, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And then uh, grew up my childhood, Louisiana. Then I moved to Chicago and that's where I started doing comedy. And right. I think that going from a smaller city, small town vibe to something as big as Chicago, it prepared me for New York and it prepared me for like all the different types of people I would come across because mm-hmm. like there is a, there is a, a, a good sense of like homogenousness in, in, in the South sometimes where even if you are in a different Southern city, it's still the South, you know, if that makes sense. Right. And I think that coming to Chicago and being a part of like the, in a weird way, one of the most diverse, but also one of the most segregated cities in America was like mind blowing because then everyone is in Chicago, but then you go eight blocks this way and it's this neighborhood and you only really see those type of people in that neighborhood. But then you go another eight blocks and it's a different ethnicity in their neighborhood. And, and it's like in a weird way, it it, trying to do shows and, and write jokes that made all of these people laugh, I think is what helped prepare me for more, um, more like both stylized and mainstream approach to comedy because I didn't want to write myself into a corner where I'm only doing like the upper, upper north side white rooms or just the south side black rooms or just the like west side Latin rooms. Uh, And so going into each different area and doing shows in like little, uh, like little India and then like doing a show that was in like Argyle area, it's like, that helped me understand people more and write more universal jokes. Uh, so that way, even if every, cause I'm not everybody's cup of tea, but even if um, I'm, my whole set isn't for everyone, hopefully I've written something that, that everyone enjoys at some point throughout, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, you know, when it comes to that, uh, do you think being more worldly and seeing more, uh, walks of life prepared you for a gig like the daily show with Trevor Noah, where you got to kind of be on the pulse of politics, pop culture, the world, sports, all that type of stuff. Yeah, I think so. Because I think that, you know, even though I wasn't, and I'm still not, at least in my personal standup, wholly political. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that by getting out and meeting as many different types of people as possible, doing shows for as many different types of people as possible, once again, it like helped that approach of like how you write a joke for someone who both doesn't know the subject. Cause sometimes yeah. you are talking about things that, that people haven't read up on because it hasn't appeared in like the New York times yet. So like, yeah, you know, like, we, comedy makes the news digestible for a lot of people. Sure. Sure. And I think that that being the case, you have to then be the one to read up on the subject and like, find what's funny about it or find what's outrageous about it and try to make that funny through metaphor or like simile or, or just like an analogy, some finding something that like helps uh, put it in the, in the same headspace as like the general public, you know? Right. 
So uh, th- that being said, one of the big news that came uh, out this week was, you know, and you, you know, living in Chicago, running around Chicago, Kanye West became a, well, was officially announced as a billionaire. This yeah, time yeah. Week, right? Like, yeah, yeah. And he came out and said, you know, I'm not just worth a billion, I'm worth $3 billion. The, the people sure. I have can't count. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So when it comes to Kanye, man, and everything he's been through, uh, what he means to the city of Chicago, and just the fact that, you know, he's just one of the most interesting people to ever live. Like, say what you want yeah. to say about his music yeah. or say what you want to say about, like, you know, where he's from, how he acts, all this other stuff. Kanye was, he's going to get, like, a couple of pages in, like, the history books for something, right? Yeah. What are your thoughts on Kanye and, you know, the way he's kind of handled himself from going to yeah. super materialistic, like, sort of almost in debt broke rapper to, mm-hmm. you know, damn near evangelistic preacher Sunday service thing happening where now he's worth $4 billion? I mean, I think, I, I think that there's a, uh, a definite little nugget of Kanye that everyone should take and yeah. take heed of and adapt to if you, if you possibly can. There's a lot to be said for believing something about yourself and then making it real. There's a lot to be said about like speaking something into existence to a certain degree. For sure. um, and, and I think that people forget that it took Kanye being who he is to get where he is. So mm-hmm. like it people don't really remember or I guess they just like don't take it into yeah. account in the long run. Yeah. Like he was told to quit rapping by like heads of companies. Like, yeah. Like a, it would essentially be like the president of Comedy Central, the president of True TV, the president of VH1, MTV, anywhere that I could hope to like put some content on TV being like Josh you should stop telling jokes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, much less one person saying that could be soul crushing. Like five, like five major labels turned him down and he already had Jesus walks and he right. already had beats and he already had like marketing schemes and he, he was ready to go and he was like ready to go in mind and in practice. He had like, he, you couldn't have found a harder worker or a more like diligent uh, producer and people didn't believe him. So he had right. to believe in himself and he had to believe in himself to a point that did make it hard to listen to other people, if that makes sense, because you, you got to where you are by not listening to people. So eventually it's going to be time to start listening to people, but not listening to people is how you got where you are. So now you don't know where you should listen to people. Where's that delicate balance there? It's, you, you kind of feel like he's, he's like, he has the personality of like a machine gun, right? Where it's like, okay, if you shoot enough times, you're going to hit something. And a lot of times he hits, a lot of times he hits, but there are so many just, dude, what, what do you, what are you thinking? What are I you mean, doing? But you can't have that greatness. Without, yeah. that, you know, that, that little bit of, okay, he might say or do something completely unforgivable or something completely out of his mind or crazy. And I mean, this is my thing. I, I think that I'm, I'm the type of person to take people as, take people's accomplishments as symbolic and it right. isn't necessarily hindered by the person 
from the past, present, or future, if that right. makes sense. So, right. so there are going to be people who you look up to. Let's say, let's say you look up to someone from the 1800s, right? Okay. And and they did something amazing. Let's, I mean, let let's even say it's like Harry Houdini. You you <laughs> admire what a showman and what a business savvy person Harry Houdini was, right? Okay. Now there's a good chance, just because of the time, just because of the the time. I'm not putting anything on anybody. But just because of the time, there's a good chance that Harry Houdini might have been a racist person, might have been a sexist person, might have been a what, a whatever, whatever, whatever. Just playing the odds. That's that yeah, might just might playing be the odds. Yeah. But you still take from that that this is a person who created a showmanship that I admire. So that's why I feel about Kanye. I feel like Kanye's determination and his belief in himself have have created an aura around him that is like hard to escape, hard to deny, unless you've just decided, unless you've decided outside of the music and everything that you hate him and then you bring all of that to everything he creates then yes of course you can not like it you don't want to listen to it whatever but i think that you know he's he's a person that this and this is this is just a testament to how good both of them are both cat williams and kanye west produced great work like amazing work Work mm. that people like still laugh at and still bump to whatever. Still, still hold in, up the, the in the, the midst time. of a nervous breakdown. Right. Both of them had a nervous. They like it wasn't at the same time, but both of them had to keep doing their job, which was making art, in the midst of a nervous breakdown. Like most people can't do their job hungover. <laughs> and these people are so good at what they do that in the midst of a nervous breakdown, they can still create. You know what I mean? And I think that, you know, it, the, the, the billionaire thing, look, I personally, I get it because I think there are a lot of people out there that aren't as rich as they uh-huh. pretend to be that are allowed to because of who they know and where they come from, especially if it's old money. So, like, good on him for raising his uh, raising his net worth and, you know, making maybe maybe to a certain degree speaking into existence that it'll be even higher one day. but. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I always have listened to his music and taken away something from both his music and his interviews that, that I think is like, obviously he's had his mental health issues. He's had his, uh, like nervous breakdowns and like, it's to the point where some people can't tell what's genuine and what's not anymore. But I think that if you want to take him for just the music, you can, if you want to take him for just the icon, you can like. Um, when you are a public figure like that, you do lend yourself to those types of, of, uh, symbolic traits, you know, like you look at someone like Kobe, rest in peace, but like Kobe had was at least before LeBron broke, it was the third time point score in the NBA. You know what I mean? Like, like third place of all time, but he had the number one number of misses. Like he had (laughs) missed more than anybody. You know what I mean? And you do have to, you just have to be like shooting your shot every day, all the time with whatever you're passionate about to create um, like a, like a sort of solidified destiny in what you want to do, you know? Absolutely. That was, that was very well said, by the way, man. Um, talk to me about working on a daily show. I mean, it, especially now with, with, with quarantined episodes and I'm sure, you know, there's, there's, there's everybody's kind of working from home and all this type of stuff. Tell me what it's like, you know, working on that show, being in that writer's room. I've, I've been in certain writer's rooms, but not a writer's room as 
I'm assuming as active as The Daily Show is, especially with the number of guests and episodes that you guys put together every single day. And I've always said this about just any late night talk show host. The fact that you have to come up with fresh material every single day is not an easy thing to do. So bring me in. Bring me into that writer's room and and, and let me know what it's like in there. I mean, I, it, it's, it's been one of the best experiences of my entire life. I mean, uh, you know, I, I get to work with the best people and the smartest people that I've ever come across. Like it, it's, it feels legitimately wild that I get to work there, you know, like, um, I wasn't very political before mm-hmm. the show, just in terms of like, I had my opinions and I had my thoughts and I would kind of write jokes here and there, but nothing that that added up to more than a tweet, you know? Right. And so, so learning how to write, learning how to truly write TV, learning how to um, think about a script, learning how to move pieces of a story, because that, that, that's one thing that's really helped ever since I started the show is that it's, it's drastically um, increased my capacity and my like acumen for storytelling Mm-hmm. Um, because you are sitting in a, in a place where people are like, all right, if we talk about this part first, even though it happened first chronologically, maybe people won't know what we're talking about. So maybe we need to introduce it this way and then bring, and you're watching pieces of a script move and move and move and move to the point where if you try to keep up with what the script used to be, you'll be lost. But like learning that each part of a story, the same way that each part of a joke, like let's say you tell a joke that's three sentences long, each one of those uh, sentences could be put in a different combination to make a different joke and it would be told a different way and be interpreted a different way. And so learning how that part of storytelling, especially in real world scenarios takes place, uh, has been like fascinating. And it's just been an amazing experience to like learn how to write jokes in a, in a new and more conscious way, because, you know, before I, worked at daily show. I was at tonight show and I was mostly just writing monologue jokes, which, Mm. you know, can, depending on how you write them, unless you write them with lots of elements or something can end up adding up to just one liners, you know? So going from writing like one liner, one liner, one liner plus stand up at night to writing, like I'm taking you on a journey. I'm creating an arc and here's the joke at the end has been like, it's changed me as a comic, you know? Absolutely. And, and I can notice that. And there's, when I told when I was told that you worked on that show, I was extremely interested because I always feel like you, you kind of have a responsibility, not just to be funny, but to be informative as well. And, uh, you know, I, I, I saw some of your stand up. I saw some of your comedy seller stuff. And, you know, you have a great joke about uh being kicked out of a gang <laughs> for oh, being yeah, too yeah. positive. <laughs> yeah. And uh you know, I always feel like for certain comics, you know, people that look like us, you, you got to kind of make things a little bit more digestible for people that don't look like us, right? Like a, a certain a, a gang joke isn't going to work in certain, you know, clubs because they just won't get it. But you made a gang joke work in a club that probably has no idea about gang culture at all. So uh, you ever feel like like there's some sort of pressure to not be like, and I don't want to say this the wrong way, not be like a, 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 a hood translator, but being able to, you know, kind of like make 
your world a little bit more digestible for people that may not be in your world? Yeah, I mean, I, I get what you mean. It's not just about digestible. It's also about what is the most uh, concise approach. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's what kind of alluding to what I was talking about before. Like, that's what Chicago helped prepare me for. Because, like, being in Chicago, you see, like, some, like, gritty stuff. Yeah. You know, like, just like, just like some some like foul things and that's just part of like being in certain places like there there are beautiful parts of chicago that there's absolutely no violence and it's beautiful and it's comparable in new york especially when you talk about like property value and and value for money and stuff right but then there are parts that are like not necessarily like chirac the movie but still it's like you 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 there are places where you have to watch yourself and so like bringing people in that like almost like a mind safari of like Here's he, here's the most honest um, interpretation of what I felt like when I was in these situations, mm-hmm. and then here is here is what I found funny about it, and and then yeah, I've, I've been fortunate enough that I've, I've been gaining enough experience to make that funny for people who will never be in that situation, you know. Absolutely, and it was one of the funniest jokes I've seen in a minute too. Oh, yeah. thanks, man. <laughs> Killed that. Um, I, uh, give me one second. I'm going to get some more light in here just because it's. Oh, no, we're, we're about down. to wrap up real soon, too. Oh, really? Oh, okay. yeah. yeah, yeah. We, we got, it's usually like a 40 minute, 45 minute oh, okay. podcast. So, yeah, yeah no worries. No worries. It's super good. Um, I mean, so granted, there's a lot of people who, who follow this show that are either comics or, or, or aspiring stand up comics that either want to be on the stage or want to be in the writer's room or help like write a TV show. Um, I know there's any comic I talked to said there's nothing replacing, you know, the the rush of being on a stage and killing and everything hitting. It's almost like a drug, right? Mm-hmm. But would you say, you know, you've reached not, you know, your apex or anything like that, but like you feel like you're on the right path of what you want to do with your gift of comedy, whether that's stand up, whether that's television writing, whether that's being able to, uh, you know, uh, write your own show or anything like that. Where do you think yeah. you stand? Uh, I mean, I, I, no matter where you are, you'd like to believe you're on like that rising side of the arc. You right. know what I mean? That, that like you haven't peaked yet. You never want to feel like, like you're going like this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and don't get me wrong. That is, that is part of having a career. That's part of life. You mm. know, like, like I think one of the reasons a lot of celebs and, and like, like people who used to be famous spiral out is because they don't recognize that there's an arc. You know what I mean? Right. Like for every, like, for every like Billie Eilish on the come up, there's a Madonna who's like an icon, but like not, not where you used to be. You right. know what I mean? And right. that's part of life. So, you know, I, I, I believe that I am still on that rising side and um, I plan to do a lot more and plan to, especially when uh, quarantine is up, even in the midst of quarantine, I plan to take as many, uh, opportunities as possible to to sort of like stretch that that muscle of, of how comedy works and learn more about it and stay a student and then also branch out into to as many avenues as possible because then that way you are consistently on the rise because you're getting into a new um, aspect every every few weeks months every time there's a new sort of platform for you to present yourself yeah um so you know i i, I think that you know 
think like maybe two years from now, I'll have uh, a lot more going on in a lot more spaces. And, and some of it's already set in motion and some of it is is like still in the works. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as far as output, which is the only thing I can control, I can't control like fame, money, anything like that. As far yeah. as like output goes, I'm just getting warmed up. So I'm excited about the future. I just, you know, obviously we're not going to get back to normal normal for a while i don't even know what normal looks like after this thing is over yeah so i think that to a certain degree that's going to change a lot of things but as long as you stay adaptable you can't be knocked down you know uh last question i want to ask you man i know stand-up comedy and especially comics in the game lean a lot on mentorship and having people that either paved the way or pulled you over to the side like hey this is dope this is you know uh, uh, uh. I'd love to know just some advice you've gotten from maybe a, a, a comedy mentor or just somebody you looked up. And what's the best advice you've been given as you've kind of like made your career the way it is so far? Um, you know, uh, I definitely look up to Trevor as a mentor and he's been bringing me on the road with him back when last year when the tour was in full swing and up until quarantine had to postpone some tour dates. And so, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's given me great advice and just being able to watch him, just being able to watch him up close, go on stage, analyze his set afterwards, all that stuff has been, has changed the way that I am as a comic. Uh, and some of the best advice I got was actually in Chicago. There's a guy named Kyle Scanlon who uh, created the whiskey journal, which is kind of like the onion. It's a, it's like a, uh, like a satire. satire publication yeah yeah and he talked about how stand-up is essentially the same as like you have to approach your set the same as you sit on the bus and you sit next to someone and you start talking to them if right. you start talking to them immediately like you know sometimes i think about killing myself they'll be like okay, <laughs> a lunatic, you know what i mean but if you if you approach it from like hi i'm josh you know i'm also from here and you know i'm going here because uh, whatever reason and like oh you like this too i also like this and you get to know them you 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 ingratiate yourself towards them by the end of an hour-long bus ride you can be like yeah you know sometimes i think about killing myself and it's not as crazy <laughs> as like you have to take into account what a conversation stand-up is and what a what an agreement comedy is you know like like some of the reasons that people get so sensitive about comedy is because they feel like they've been brought into an agreement that they didn't sign up for, you know? Mm. Uh, so making sure that you massage your words uh, with, with the right intent and not necessarily walk on eggshells around an audience, but like know where you're going, know what you're trying to say. Cause if you, if you, if you can, if you, if you know that, then nobody can really shake you, you know? Uh, and I guess the advice that I give to other people, especially like people who hit me up or ask me things is, is to just like, for everything that you want to do, just take your first crack at it. Like, um, you know, movement is life, you know? So like, if you, if you are paralyzed by indecision, then it's not happening anyway. So you don't need to worry about failing because you're not doing it. You know, like you, you have to get out there and you have to make whatever it is you want to make and whatever terrible version of it comes out first, that's going to be like a distant memory once you know what you're doing, you know? Absolutely. I don't think there's a better way to end off than that great piece of advice. You can follow Josh Johnson on Instagram at Josh Johnson Comedy and on Twitter at Josh Johnson, not the quarterback, the comedian. Thank you (laughs) so much for stopping by. Say less. We got to do it again sometime, man. Like, thank you so much, brother. 
Absolutely, man. Stay safe out there. And I'm sure uh, once this quarantine's over, we'll, we'll catch up in the city or something. Sounds good, man. I'll catch yep. you in a bit. Yes, sir. Take it easy, bro. You too. And that has been Say Less. Thank you all once again for subscribing, for watching, for listening, wherever you get it, whether it's YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, wherever. I appreciate the listen. Thank you so much. Uh, you can follow Josh Johnson on Instagram and Twitter on the little squirrely thing down below. Shout out to everybody on YouTube. And uh, I will catch you later, man. Wash your hands, wash your ass, and please, please, say less.